Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 49, and Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a series called Most Deeply Human, and we're almost to the end, okay? For those of you who have been walking through the series, you're like, wow, this is a, a long and very serious and ambitious series, especially for the summer. And this is part 12. And I have one more to go. We'll have uh, one more, and that will complete the series. And we will, uh, we will, we will have a brief series to close out the summer um, on, on, um, on friendship. That's what we're going to talk about to close out the summer. We're going to have a series on friendship. But if you were not here last Sunday, or you know you didn't, uh, you missed you know joining us through the live stream. I want to really urge you, especially if you're one of our church members, to watch last Sunday's message. It's kind of like a, a, a portion, as I'm going through, a multiple-part portion unpacking holiness. And so that last Sunday, so I really, please, I urge you, you know, I don't normally do that. You know, tell you, go listen to last Sunday's sermon. Please make sure you listen to that. But these last four messages are especially important, and I want to urge you, if you missed it, to... Um, to watch that either on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. Um, we have two more, to, two more messages on this series on holiness. And today I want to talk about how holiness is connected to your identity as a son of God. That's what we're talking about today. Now, just, I want to just get into this. I want to say this right at the beginning because I'm not going to like soften this up by saying you're a son and a daughter. Of course, if you are a woman, you are a daughter of God. Okay? Why does the, the Bible say that you, be, you have sonship? That's what we're talking about today. I want to just start just by saying this first thing. Um, sonship is not telling women that you are second class. That is not right. Okay? It's completely the opposite. Because what sonship is saying is that God has an eternal son. And then do you know what the Bible is saying? Everybody who receives salvation through Jesus Christ gets sonship. That means if you're a woman, you get sonship. That's strange. To, I know it's a strange piece of language. But here's, in the ancient world, here's what sonship meant. The first son got all the rights, the name, the inheritance, the greatest privilege 
of the family. That's, what, that's the way it worked in the ancient world. That's still how it works in so many cultures. But when the Bible is saying that you who are a slave, you're a nobody, you're the wrong skin color, you're not part of even the right ethnicity, you have no education, everybody in the world thinks you're dirty and low and nothing, you are a son. That's what the Bible is saying. It says, you who are a woman, and in our society, you have no status, and you're always seen as second class because you don't make the money. No, you have every right, every privilege, every honor of, the, of being a son, just like the very son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today. So, if any of you have this idea that Christianity is some kind of bad patriarchal religion and therefore turns women into second-class citizens, you're completely wrong. <laughs> There's no more radical worldview that really absolutely asserts the equality of men and women in utter worth before God than Christianity. There's absolutely nothing, okay? There's no other worldview that will assert this. And this is where you see it. Where you see it is in Genesis chapter 1, you have this view that men and women are made in the image of God, and there's no distinction there. It's like women made in the image of God, men in the image of God, and together we image God. Absolute equality. We're in the very first chapter of the Bible. But here it's where it's even deeper than that. What are we given? We're given sonship. Men and women are given sonship. There's no, there's, there's some kind of like second class distinction. So ladies... Yes, of course you're a daughter of God, but you have, you have the deep sonship of Jesus Christ. I want to start there. Now let's go three parts. Part one. Part one, identity in relationship versus achievement. Identity in relationship versus achievement. It's a deep problem of our culture. Identity in relationship versus achievement. Part two, the family glory. We're talking about the family glory of God's family. And I'm not even talking about the church. I'm talking about the Holy Trinity. Okay? The family glory. And part three, the eternal family joy. The family glory leads to the family joy. And this is where holiness is connected to sonship. Okay? So let's get into this. Part one. So... I want to just retrace a little bit. Part one is just a quick recap of where we were last week. And where we were last week, I, 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 I want to just dig into this just a little bit because I want to take you from where we were last week to where we're going this week. Okay. So last week, I preached the latter portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so that's that first passage our sister read. And it says this really strange stuff. The first man was of the dust. It's full of weakness and shame, all right? But then there's this second man, the heavenly man, and he is eternal. He's a man from heaven. And last week I preached to you this verse, verse 49, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. Here's what it says. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And this is what I, I, I talked about last week. I talked about identity. Image, identity, the Bible calls it image. The modern world, we call it identity. <laughs> identity is this picture of who you are inside of your own mind. That's what identity is. So you look at a person and you're like, hey, you know, you're a Chinese woman who's like 35 years old. That's your identity, right? Of course that's not your identity. That's, interest, that's not that interesting. You're like, what do you mean? I'm going to, I am going to solve cancer and that is my identity. See, that's, that's like, you don't know that because you have to get to know the person and then they have this image inside of their mind of who they are. Okay, that image is, of course, something good. At least I hope it's something good. And this is what it's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam. That's the fallen, dying, filled with sin man. And so that's what we do. 
you grow up, and at some point in your life, you decide who you are, or like who you want to be. And do you notice those are kind of the same thing? And some of the young people, they don't even know who they are. They're like, uh, I, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm a 14-year-old, like, Chinese-American girl in, like, Cupertino, whatever. And really, they don't know who they are. Like, that's all they know about themselves, and they just know that their parents expect them to, like, you know, become like a surgeon or something like this, right? you got to go to UC Berkeley and then become a surgeon because that's what we want out of you, and they kind of think maybe that's what they should do. And really what this is is this image, the image of who they are is incomplete. But you notice whatever image that you have inside of your mind, it's only of the world. And whatever image is only of the first Adam, it's like kind of the Adam that we are, and it's always of some fallen sinful vision, and you and I pick some fallen sinful vision, and it has something to do with your, your destiny and your hope and where you want to go. So last week I gave you three examples. Well, it's actually two examples. I told you about these two Christian sisters I knew um, named Janine and Julie. I met them years ago, and Janine had curves, and Julie was thin. But what was crazy is Julie wanted curves. So that was her like image of Adam inside her mind, the identity where she wants to go. And Janine wanted to be thin. <laughs> so here they are. They're like totally great buddies, and they constantly covet the other person's body image. And that's what they want. And, and then I gave you another example of, of, of a friend of mine who went to school with me at Stanford, and she was Mexican-American. And her, her Adam image, you know, this is the self-image of my humanity, is I'm going to go to a top medical school and become this really great doctor. And that's how I'm going to, like, support my family and, you know, like, success in life. And I told you that she studied, like, every waking hour, okay? <laughs> practically every waking hour. As you might imagine, as somebody, a person who studies practically every waking hour, they might make it into medical school. Well, she did. She succeeded. Great, right? But if you ask her today as an adult, was it everything that she had hoped it would be? I don't think she would say that's true. See? This is what the Adam image is like. This is what we do inside of our humanity. Your humanity is not just I'm a man or I'm a woman or I'm tall or I'm skinny or I, I, I'm you know, middle class or I went to some smart school or I'm an engineer or I'm a doctor or I'm a stay-at-home mom. This is American identity. It's worldly identity. It's some image inside your mind that you want to be. And do you notice it's always has something to do with your achievement. It has something to do with like, I'm going to achieve skinniness. <laughs> I'm going to achieve medical school. I'm going to achieve some, I'm going to become, I'm going to find that perfect husband, and we are going to have perfectly beautiful kids, and I'm going to be a great mom. It's achievement. But when you put all this stuff together, you know what the Bible says? It's of the dust. It's dying. And it's going to fail. And yet the Bible says there's another image there's a different kind of humanity, and if you have given your life to Jesus, the body, that's like the spiritual body, the spirit-filled personhood, that image is of the resurrected Jesus. See, many of you, if you grew up in the church, you just go, Jesus God. But no, Jesus is actually man. Jesus God who became man. So that he can give you a new image. Let me put it this way. He can give you a new identity. He can give you a new destiny. And at the center of that destiny is his holy love. That's what it is. And that's the gift. And this whole series, I'm unpacking this to help you to have a fight inside of your life. Inside of you, you have this image of like the person you want to be. It's this worldly image. It's a worldly identity. And you think it's so good, and you're working really hard to achieve it, but there's a big, there's like a curse inside of it. You don't know it. 
and you go like, I've got to get all this, and I'm going to get this, and I don't know if, you know, mostly, mostly it's your project, it's your identity, it's your destiny, and Jesus is in the back seat, if you have Jesus at all. You're in the driver's seat, you're your own king, you're the Adam that's going to form your Adam, okay? You're the Eve that's going to form your own Eve, and you know what, you, you already know what that image is. So some of you are like Janine. You're going to get yourself skinny and get yourself the perfect skinny body. And some of you are like Julie. You're going to get yourself curves, okay? And some of you are like my friend from Stanford. It's like some kind of career achievement or intellectual or school achievement. And mostly that's what you're going to do. That's where the money's going to come. That's where the worth is going to come. Because that's what the world says. If you don't have enough skinny, if you don't have enough curves, if you don't have enough smart, you're nothing. That's what the world says. The world says your value, your worth is built on this thing. So then we have to form our image from the atom. Then we have to go chase our worth. But what the Bible says is your worth from God, this is what he says, your worth is because you are my son. You are my daughter who's no less than any son. In fact, you're no less than my very own son. That's your worth. It can never be taken from you. So would you live inside of that identity? Would you live inside of that destiny? Would you live inside of the new heavenly man that has conquered sin and death already for you and that is what it's like to have the spiritual body, to be in step with the Spirit. And the central activity of that is to seek the glory of holiness, which I have also called unbreakable love with the deepest character. Okay? That wasn't too long. 11-minute review. Okay? So that's part one. And so inside of you, well, you have a fight. The Bible says crucify the old flesh. Some of the old theologians said mortify the flesh. Would you mortify that image? Whatever that image of the old Adam is in, now you, you must kill it. I'll give you this little example. Um, my friend Janine, when I hung out with her that summer, we'd go into like a store. And you guys know what a store is like. You know, you pick up, you know, you like, you, it's like, it could be like a 7-Eleven or something like that. And you pick up whatever you want. And then you go to the cash register. And then, you know, there's these magazines sitting on there. And you know what she had? All that summer, she realized my body image, my inner Adam was bad. It was killing me. So she would take this magazine that had some beautiful model up in the front that was way too skinny and it was really fake, she'd take that magazine and she'd flip it and turn it around and put it back in, and, I would, and she would just do that. We'd be standing there waiting for the register, and she'd grab the magazine, flip it, and turn it around, and she would say, because that's not me. See? She has a, she has a fight. She's struggling to be in the heavenly man in Christ. Would you have a fight too? Let's go to part two. I want to take you into this verse. It's a big passage. Um, but I want to introduce you to something that's tremendously important. And it really deserves its own long series. There's no way it should be like a part two of one sermon. But we just can't say everything in one series. So we'll just, I'm just going to do my best to. And if you've been with me, you've probably heard something of this before. I've given sermon series before of what it means to be a son of God. But if you are a son, a daughter, a daughter who has no less than sonship, you know what you are invited into? You're invited into a family glory. Every family has something glorious. So, you know, I hope you come from a good family that has something good to offer you. If you come from a bad family... You are born, and your parents don't teach anything. <laughs> they don't feed you. They don't teach you how to brush your teeth. They don't take you to school. 
There is no subject that they think is really cool. There are no great books. There's no cool movies. There's no you know, interesting job or some kind of great hobby or some great pursuit that they love inside of their family. But if you're in any normal, good, loving family, there's something beautiful and glorious that your family shares. Now, that's what I want. I want to, I want to say that to you. And then let me read this passage. And I want to try to help you rethink this, this word that you don't like. Okay, I know you don't like it. The word is discipline. That's the word. And in this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, that's the word that's used, discipline. Okay? And you, if you are your normal 21st century American, you hate that word. I don't like it either. Okay? Because, you know, because we're all just like dumb, rebellious kids. And that's what you're like, whether you're 35 or 45 or 55. But I want to help you rethink this. So here's the way it says. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, what does that mean? So, I hope some of you are like my friend Janine. I don't know if you flip magazines on the back, but you have a struggle against your old identity, that old image. You, you're trying to kill it. That's, some of you are like, okay, I like looking at porn. That's my sin. And maybe earlier today when we, when we, um, when we were doing our confession sin, maybe that's what you confessed. Okay, there's probably a lot of guys need to confess that pretty regularly, okay? And now, now today, sometimes women. But, okay, that's a sin. But you know that sin of like pornography or like liking money? That thing is nothing compared to your love for your self-image in Adam. Whatever it is that your fundamental identity, idolatry is in Adam, that thing is the biggest sin in your life. That thing is the thing that has to die. It's you. You know what sin is? It's you. It's actually you. Sin is you. Sin is the way you do your life in the normal way without God. Sin is your wisdom. Sin is your efforts. Sin is all your, is all your like righteousness where you don't need Jesus and you always keep him in the back seat. That's the struggle, the biggest fight you got. And most of us, we haven't fought it to even like shedding blood. That's the way the passage puts it. You know, what the passage is talking about is this. Some of you, in this current time, if you self-identify as a person who believes in Jesus, then what could happen in this current time is your culture would find out and they'll kill you. That's what it's talking about. In our current culture, if they find out that you're a Christian, you might not get a promotion. If they find out that you are not a Christian, you may get rejected from your friends at school. If they find out that you're a Christian, you will, they won't, maybe they won't fire you. Maybe they won't um, despise you. But what they'll do is maybe at school or among your coworkers, you may feel this kind of like, you know, that, that you know, she's like, and you could feel the contempt. Okay, that's what we're in danger of today. But there are brothers and sisters around the world, if they want to have a fight inside of their soul to say, I have a heavenly body, a heavenly humanity in Jesus, I'm never backing off of that. If you're going to have that fight, they might go to prison. They might get killed. That's been going on since this was written and still going on. Now, I'm not trying to shame any of you or me. We are super blessed that the chances that you will have to literally shed your blood to have your fight for your destiny in Christ, it's a really great thing that we probably won't have to shed our blood. But I'm going to ask you this question. Will you have a fight to risk your job? To risk rejection? To risk contempt from your coworkers or your family or your neighbors or from our culture? Would you do that? 
And then how about this? Would you have a fight inside of yourself so that the thing that you think is so good, the good vision of you that you like so much, that skinny version of you, that rich version of you, that perfect dad version of you, will you have enough of a fight that, you're, that you will cut yourself so inside your soul you'll bleed? You'll be like, oh my gosh, that hurts. <laughs> I have to actually like crucify that self. It hurts. It feels like I'm bleeding. Would you have that fight? That's what I'm asking for. But if you're willing to have that fight, on the other end is glory. The family glory. Now let me continue. Verse 5. I'm just going to go right to the, the, the quote. My son... Well, let's go first five. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten that the Bible addresses you as sons? This is from God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So that's what we're like. We get tired. It's like it hurts. If we want to kill the old self, it sometimes causes us to bleed and hurt. And then you're like, the Lord wants that. And then the Lord puts us through something where we might have to pay some costs and suffering, especially in the world and even inside of our souls. And we don't want it. So we're like, it says, so you'd be weary. But then listen to what he says, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So let me put it this way. So, Let's say one of you are friends of, like, my son. You have, you, he invites you to come sleep over at our house. And for whatever reason, you never learn to floss, okay? You never learn to floss, and you think it's annoying, and you don't want to do it. But in our house, all the kids floss, okay? They've been flossing since they were really little. Here's how they learned how to floss. Dad had a root canal when he was 35 years old and found out that it costs a lot of money. <laughs> and it's really, really painful in the mouth and it's really, really painful on the, pockets, on the pocketbook. So my wife and I decided all our kids, they're going to floss. <laughs> That's what we decided. So since they were really little, we were like, you flossing. <laughs> Did you floss? And if you have been taught this discipline when you were little, it doesn't bother you. It's just the normal thing that you do. Now, I imagine none of you had a mother or father who let you go to bed without brushing your teeth, right? At least not regularly. Maybe once every now and then you fell asleep and you were exhausted. So they just let you fall asleep even though you had like, you know, all this plaque and stuff from dinner inside your mouth. And they were like, that could cost us money, and that could cost them pain, whatever. Tonight, we'll just let it go, okay? But in the normal night, if you're one of these dumb kids who's like, no, I'm not going to brush my teeth, you know what happens? There is a discussion. <laughs> There's a discussion. Sometimes it's coming from mom. Sometimes it's coming from dad. Now, if you come over to our house and you are not my son, and I say, hey, do you want to floss? Here's the floss. It's good floss. We pay money for it. We offer it to you as a gift. <laughs> and you go, no thanks. You know what I'm going to do? Okay. Why? Because you're not my kid. Because you're not my kid. Now, if you, have, if you get adopted by, 
you know, if you get, become adopted into my family and I continue to say, oh, you don't have to floss, you know what that means? I'm basically saying to that, that, that young man, you're not really my son. That's what it's like. That's what it's saying. But if you're really my son, it's like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> you are gonna, you're going to floss. <laughs> there, there ain't no question about it. And if we need to have a fight about it, let's fight. <laughs> and let me, I, let me assure you, you better not have this fight because I'm going to win. <laughs> and you will, you will gain the blessing of flossing. Now, that sounds like kind of a silly story. But you and I were like that. That's what we're like. God is going, I've got this beautiful thing. In order to get there, there's spiritual flossing. <laughs> and you don't want to do it. I've been thinking about an illustration to help you. So, um, any of you guys watch this TV show called Cobra Kai? Cobra Kai? <laughs> okay, good. It's not that good. Don't watch it. I watched it. Okay? I watched about a season. But Cobra Kai is a TV show. It was started on YouTube, and it's now on Netflix. Don't watch it. It's not that good. Okay? But it was based on a 1984 movie called Karate Kid. And in this movie, Karate Kid... It's, this is what it's about. I'll just tell you what it's about. There's this skinny Italian kid from New Jersey. And they move across country because mom gets a job in Southern California. So here he is, a New, New Yorker, you know, whatever, New Jersey Italian kid. He goes to Southern California. And now he's completely a fish out of water. He has no identity. He has no worth. He is a stranger in this strange land. And he meets, like, the pretty boy, rich, blonde kid. And the first thing that happens is the pretty boy, rich, blonde kid kicks his rear end and beats him up real good. And decides that, hey, Italian boy, we're going to basically kick you around. And you seem to like my girlfriend, and so that's all the more reason for us to kick you around. That's the, basically the premise of the movie. But then there's this man, this, you know, this small, tiny Japanese man who is the, who is the, like, um, the kind of like the, the guy. He's like the super. That's what they call him, the East Coast, the guy who fixes stuff. He's the, the, the maintenance guy in their apartment complex. And one night when the pretty rich boy, you know, the pretty rich blonde boy who happens to be a black belt in karate, like him and his friends just like basically beat the you-know-what out of him. Turns out the little Japanese guy is really good at karate, jumps in there and rescues him. And the young man, his name is Daniel LaRusso, goes up to the, the Japanese man's name. He calls him Mr. Miyagi and says, would you teach me karate? <laughs> would you teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi like, doesn't seem very enthusiastic about it at first, but he says, okay, show up in the morning. Training starts in the morning, really early. He goes to Mr. Miyagi's house to get karate training. But it's really weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Here's what karate training is like in Mr. Miyagi's house. Mr. Miyagi has like, like, like six old cars. They're like these classic old cars. And... He's got these old cars lined up in his backyard. And here's what you got to do. Get out there. Here's what you do. You're like this. This is how you wax them. You wax them this way. Then you wax it this way. Wax it this way. You wax it this way. Okay? And, and then breathe this way. Don't forget to breathe. <laughs> so he says, okay, get out there. Do it. Spends all day waxing cars. Wax. Wax. Wax, breathe, breathe. And then he comes out there, checks on him every now and then. And then the next thing is, all right, don't, don't forget, come back tomorrow, nice and early. And then he's got this crazy long, super long wooden deck. Okay? This, this is 1984. The, the, the houses weren't that expensive back then yet. Okay? 
Today, if you had a deck like that, it would cost you a lot of money, okay? At least in L.A. or down here. But back then, I guess a maintenance man could afford this. Okay, you got this crazy long wooden deck. This is how you sand it. Like this, like this, like this, like this. Don't forget to breathe. And so Mr. Miyagi works this skinny Italian Daniel LaRusso pretty hard. And then you know what happens? Then he gets really mad. <laughs> He's like, this is karate? What is this? <laughs> he gets really mad. And he rebels against Mr. Miyagi. And he's filled with all his wisdom and all his knowledge and all his righteousness and all his rights. Oh, gosh, don't we just, we Americans, we love our rights. And he's filled with all his rights. And he basically is really angry. Like today, I mean, it's 1984, so he's polite enough to not give Mr. Miyagi the middle finger. Today, if we have the 1980, you know, the 2021 version, of course, he'd give him the middle finger, give him the F word, you know, the F word, and like, do that. And what he doesn't understand, and this is really incredible, you're watching this movie, you think it has to do with a little Japanese guy teaching a skinny Italian kid karate. But as the movie starts to unfurl, that's not what the movie's about. That's not what the movie's about. You know what the movie's about? It's about a Japanese man who lost his wife and his child when his wife died in pregnancy with their child. And Daniel LaRusso has no dad. He's fatherless. He has nobody to offer him a family glory. He has nobody to protect him and shape him into something better, a, a, a new vision of manhood, and give him a better identity than he knows. He's insecure. He's alone. He's prideful. He's selfish. He's entitled. And he rebels against the man who is saying, I'll be your dad. That's what the movie's about. The movie is about a man who's offering a broken teenage boy, I'll be your dad. And in this family, our glory is karate. It's been handed down by my dad. If you watch the movie, Mr. Miyagi's always talking about his dad. The movie is about a father loving a son. That's what the movie's about. So, don't watch Cobra Kai. If you've watched this movie before, watch it again. And don't think about karate. Think about God. Because you and I are all Daniel LaRusso. You, we think we have this image in our mind. So Daniel thinks, I'm going to learn karate from this guy. And then I'm going to beat up the blonde guy. <laughs> and then when I beat up the blonde guy, I'm like, like I'm better. I'm like, he has an Adam-like image of his destiny and identity. But Mr. Miyagi is not interested in him beating up the blonde guy. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi is saying, be my son. Be my son. And I'll give you all of my best. And I'll love you for all your life. He's offering him a new identity and a new destiny. It's in a relationship. Not in an achievement. Not in a power. Not in something that the world tells you you have worth. But instead, he's offering him the Miyagi family glory with all his love. And you know what it comes from? It comes through discipline. That's what it looks like. So brothers and sisters, you go through life. God is going to let life, he's going to let the mean, ugly Johnny Lawrence of the world come into your life and beat you down. And you know what? And then he's better than Mr. Miyagi. He's going to come into your life and said, be my son. I'll give you my best. 
I'll give you our family glory. And you know what the family glory is? It's holiness. That's what it is. You know what the family glory is? It's steadfast love, unbreakable love. You know what the stamp family glory is? It's love with joy, with peace, with patience. It's unbreakable love with unbreakable joy, with unbreakable patience forever. I just said the same thing three times. The family glory is holiness. The family glory is steadfast, unbreakable love. The family glory is father and son together. Together we will become like the father in all his glory. It's only about infinitely more and better than karate. So I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to go to you. I'm going to finish reading this passage, and then I'm going to take you through to the third part of my sermon, and we'll close. Okay? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there, whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Some of you maybe not have ever had a good father. Some of you maybe never had a Mr. Miyagi in your life. I'm sorry. But you have better. You have God. <laughs> Shall we not be much more much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. You see it? The family glory of God. Let me close. I wrote this down so I don't go too long, okay? So I'm just going to close with this point. Part three was the eternal joy of, the eternal family joy. All of you want to be happy, don't you? Well, I want to get a great career. I want to become skinny or whatever so that I won't be happy. <laughs> if you want eternal joy, seek holiness. Here's the way I want to close. Holiness is the ultimate glory and joy of the family of God. Hmm. Holiness is the ultimate glory and joy of the family of God. Your identity is completed in holiness to become like the Father. You cannot do this on your own and apart from the grace of the Father to you, and his steadfast, unbreaking, resilient, holy love to you, you and I will be like Daniel LaRusso. You're just the Chinese Daniel LaRusso. You're the Korean Daniel LaRusso. Okay? You're the Mexican Daniel LaRusso. Whatever. You're not even from the Silicon Valley. You're from New Jersey. Fine. But we're without the Father. Foolish. We are foolish, prideful, rebellious, suspicious, insecure, and seeking our identity in some power achievement that validates our worth to a world that sees you as not much and lacking worth. But your ultimate identity and destiny is to be beloved and share in the family glory of offering holy, steadfast, unbreakable love to others. So let's put it this way. Mr. Miyagi, he teaches karate. But if you watch the movie, better than karate, he gives father to son love. That's what he's doing. Maybe you are a programmer. Maybe you are a marketer. Would you do that inside of the father-son love? joy of God. I know it sounds so weird. To become God's son like Jesus, that's God's gift to you. Beloved by the Father, 
gladly becoming holy like your Father and sharing in the unbreakable love and joy of Father and Son filled with the Holy Spirit forever. Here is the gift and goal of salvation from the Father. Salvation is not merely to forgive you from sin. It's not merely being patient with you by grace. God intends to gift you and love you forever as His Son and mold you into His image so that you will become holy and enjoy holy love and eternal joy together with the Father and His sons and daughters forever. So if you want like, I want like, you know, like Janine, i got to be the skinny image of the Adam. Oh, or, or like my friend, I, I'm going to become like an awesome doctor from the top medical school. <laughs> if that is the image you want and you idolatrously embrace, God, because he loves you, the Father, because he loves you, will discipline you so that you will learn to crucify and kill that bad humanity. And until you learn how to kill and want to and start to crucify that bad humanity, you know what God's going to do? He's going to discipline you. So if you want to be a Christian and you want to keep Jesus in the back seat, you're asking for a lot of discipline. It's a bad path. But if you want to be Lord of your own life and keep doing that, you're asking for a lot of pain and death. But if you want God to be your Father, He'll give you more than you ever thought or ever could have hoped or imagined. He doesn't start this gift in heaven. He starts it now on earth. So their lives here become a foretaste of what is to come forever and eternity. Would you receive this gift from the Father? Would you let God be your Father and love you this way? Would you stop asking God to give you only what you want in your Daniel LaRusso kind of fleshly Adam, but start to agree with the Father and give yourself to Him as a son? Of course you're going to fail, and of course you're going to fall down. And there's this phrase in the Bible that I really love. <laughs> I don't love it because it's a fun phrase, because it's just so true. As a dog returns to his own vomit... We want to return to our own Adam. But instead, God gives us Jesus. And on that cross, he crucified your old Adam and your old identity dreams so that the Son of God can give you his own heart and his own sonship and his own victory over sin and death and can give you his own holiness. And after he was resurrected, he gives you the Holy Spirit so you can always have victory to have the heavenly humanity of the Son of God inside of you. And you can run to your full destiny that is yours, Sonship of Jesus. So this is the way I want to close. Brothers and sisters, I want to appeal to you do you want this? you want this? I'll be really, really honest with you. As a pastor, I want this some days, and then some days I don't. So on Sunday, I wake up, and I'm like, I got to preach today. I better want this. And then on Monday, I'm like, oh, Jesus, can you just give me success, and then I'll be like some stud pastor, Everyone think I'm awesome, and I'll think I'm awesome. And then for about three hours, I'm like a dog returning to his vomit. And then in the next one or two hours, somehow the Holy Spirit reminds me of the gospel. And then I get up to fight. I get up to fight. So I'll be a son again. Brothers and sisters, Go claim your sonship. Fight for your sonship. Let's pray.
We have no idea, Lord, how much you love us. We have no idea how big your grace is. We always think your grace is X big. It's not that big. We always think, this is the best I can have. This is the, the good life I can have. It's nothing compared to what you want to give. Father, we always want some achievement, some worldly identity. But really, if we would agree with you, we'd gladly receive your discipline. And we would join you in fighting to crucify our old, bad, Adamic self so that we could become like the new Adam, Jesus. And it's not just our humanity at stake. Really, we could run to you and be loved by you. Have all of your glory as our Father. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. Please do not ever grow tired of loving us. For our foolish and stiff-necked and prideful self, we act more like dogs that return to our vomit. But instead, make us glorious like your Son. And help us see that you are loving us. You're not just some cosmic judge who has some good things to give to others and bad things to dish out to those who are bad and deserve it. But instead, through Jesus, all condemnation is gone so that you would shower upon us holy, steadfast love and make us your sons and daughters forever. So make us your sons and daughters. And when we act like rebellious, rebellious atoms, chase us down and by your grace cause us to be sons and daughters once again. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.